devoted to feeding the flock and our expositions through the book of Ephesians. We are currently in chapter 3 and verse 1. Hi, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today for this Bible study. Let's begin reading, why don't we, in verse 1 of chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians, where Paul writes this under the inspiration of the Spirit. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before, in brief, by referring to this, when you read you can understand by insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me according to the working of His power. So now that we're in chapter 3, we've, we discover that this is the third uh, description in some regards of our identity in Christ and that is our position in Christ is uh, included in chapters 1, 2, and 3 in this particular epistle. Now, chapter 1 had to do with our new identity as a body. We are members of that body, and he even mentions that here in this chapter. And then uh, we are also a part of uh, a living building, an architectural construction work in, in which uh, it is constantly growing, and that is a new temple. We are that temple, according to chapter 2. Then finally, in uh, chapter 3, we are a part um, of a mystery. And all three of these uh, metaphors, you might say, are... Um, are a description of who we are in Christ. This is our new identity. If you do not know who you are in Christ, then uh, you may be searching in all sorts of ways and receiving all sorts of definitions about who you are supposed to be or or who your identity should be and a lot of other things in which uh, uh, may or may not include the biblical uh, instructions here. And so it's important for us to get into this. Uh, chapter 3 has to do with revealing this mystery in uh, uh, verses 1 through 13. And then verse 14 through 21 has to do with receiving the fullness of God and the fullness of what he has for us uh, as being a part of this mystery. And um, we're going to find out what that is, uh, because uh, it's not something that's difficult necessarily to understand. It's not like a riddle or a puzzle that you have to figure out, uh, or an anagram that you don't quite see right away. Uh, but this is uh, when uh, Paul refers to the word mystery, he refers to something that was not ref uh, revealed in the Old Testament, or at least if it was referred to, it wasn't revealed very clearly until now. And uh, 
that's part of what uh, what the whole New Testament really is already about. And uh, Ephesians seems to clarify those things in a very precise way, in a way in which uh, Paul himself has been called to make these new definitions and these new categories and these new metaphors to us to help describe who we are, especially if you are a Gentile believer in the Jewish Messiah as your sin bearer. He has taken your sin from you and has been your substitute sacrifice to pay for that sin. And we'll get into that in a moment, but but as Gentiles, we inherit something that we would not have inherited uh, had it not been for the supreme work of the Jewish Messiah, uh, Jesus himself of Nazareth. So Paul then in this third chapter talks about this new administration, and he uses that term in this passage later on. And um, and and in this first uh, seven verses, which we read today, this is the administration that's being presented to us. Now, verses eight and nine, it's an administration that Paul preached. And then in verses 10 through 13, it's an administration which has a purpose, which God himself has purposed on earth for us to fulfill. And uh, that's part of what God has done. And he has revealed it to Paul to show us what this is, to show us these definitions, to show us these descriptions. So it says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. You see, Paul understands that, yeah, earlier he referred to himself as an apostle. That was in verse one of this book uh, and, uh, and, and chapter one. And uh, he's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. But now he refers to himself as a prisoner. Why is he a prisoner? Because the Romans have locked him up at the behest of uh, his Jewish enemies. And, uh, and the reason why they are his enemies is because of his preaching the gospel, this gospel, this message to the Gentiles, to what the Jewish people would call the uncircumcised of that day in the first century. And that's uh, what we uh, studied earlier in chapter 2. So uh, Paul says, this is the reason why I'm a prisoner. And in some regards, he understood that he could be released from prison, or he might not have even been arrested, and he might not have even been um, sus- suspect uh, or charged with anything by the Jewish people or the Jewish leadership had he somehow stayed within Judaism and merely preached that Jesus was a Messiah to the Jewish people. But he opened up the message at the instigation of God himself and Jesus himself. He preached this message to the Gentiles. And that, in many regards, is what got him in trouble, so to speak. And so he acknowledges that right away so that the Gentile believers at Ephesus understand that this man is committed to this message he is giving to them, this teaching, this this doctrine, you might call it. And uh, So that that means it's pretty important if a man is willing to lay down his freedom for the sake of being able to to teach this this, uh, teaching, to be able to give this 
instruction, this doctrine, or this understanding about who we are in Christ. And uh, this has taken him to prison because of it. If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. That's what verse 2 says. And uh, of course, we you could read of Paul's testimony, perhaps uh, some places in, in uh, Philippians chapter 3 would be a good place to start. But uh, you can go back to the book of Acts where uh, uh, Luke, the author of Acts, records the original experience. And then Paul himself gives testimony to that experience uh, in, in, uh, in witness testimony in uh, various courts and various places. And so uh, we have uh, recorded uh, Paul's own testimony in several different places. Galatians is another place uh, where he talks more about the theological or the doctrinal idea about the payment for our sin and the the freedom we have in Christ. But right now we need to focus on this. And if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. So he is a prisoner because he's been given this stewardship. This idea of stewardship has has, uh, uh, the... um, the idea of a, of a responsibility. And this is a, a God-given responsibility that Jesus himself gave to Paul. And this was a direct revelation. And by being given this revelation, then he is responsible for that revelation. And therefore, he is a steward of this new truth that has been given to him in a very special way. Not that he's exclusive about it because he's not the only one. But he has been given a role of of um, uh, transporting that message and and um, and proclaiming that message and clarifying that message, especially when it comes to ministering and serving the Gentiles with that message. And so he's become a prisoner. Um, and yet, as a result of being imprisoned, uh, Philippians chapter 1 says, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole praetorian guard and to everyone else, that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. So, Paul's imprisonment in Rome uh, meant that he had an opportunity, even though he was chained to a Roman guard, yet uh, he had certain opportunities there to be able to proclaim this truth even while he was a prisoner. Um, in Second uh, Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. In Philemon, he mentions it three times in the little bitty book of Philemon. It's barely barely more than a gospel tract, but he, he uses this terminology. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus in verse 1 of Philemon. Uh, verse 9 of Philemon, he says, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And again, in verse 23, he says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. So he is being locked up. He's being uh, in Roman custody because of this particular aspect of his preaching. And uh, uh, perhaps he, as I said before, he could have 
He could have existed uh, quite well and quite peaceably, you might say, uh, without any trouble uh, from the from the Jewish authorities if he had stayed within Judaism in the con- confines of their definitions of of uh, what this message should include uh, when it came to the message of Jesus of Nazareth and his death and burial and resurrection. But this is what got him in trouble. He, he is a stewardship he, uh, that has a responsibility that God has given to him. Jesus himself gave it to him, and it's a stewardship of grace. Now, there's always been grace in the Old Testament and the New, but now this grace has been unfolded in such a way that it becomes like the center point or the, the main construction of everything else that goes on in the operating procedures uh, on earth. And um, so there was always grace uh, from the Garden of Eden to, uh, to the law of Moses and to, to the nation of Israel. And yet, uh, now this grace has unfolded in a new perspective with a new dimension to it. He says, which was given to me for you. And he's talking about the believers in Ephesus, and uh, that, which includes a, a, probably a majority of, of uh, Gentile believers there, as I wrote before in brief. And so uh, that's what he uh, what he has already brought up earlier in this book, uh, which uh, he says, I, I wrote to you in brief because he's already talked about the gospel that was entrusted to him. And, uh, and, he's, and he's, he talked about the body earlier, and he talked about the temple, that we are fellow members of that uh, in Christ Jesus. And uh, this was part of uh, what was Paul's responsibility to continue to build up the believers regardless of whether or not they were Gentiles. And we're going to get back to this right after this uh, musical interlude. When Paul talks about that by revelation that was made known to me, the mystery, this is verse 3 of chapter 3 of Ephesians, uh, as I wrote before in brief, and that's what he's mentioned earlier on in the book of Ephesians. Chapter 1, he mentioned it in verses uh, 9 and 10. He says, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the, in the heavens and things on the earth. And so this whole idea is, is a part of God's plan. That's what he, he already introduced in chapter one. And, uh, it is something that, that, uh, 
perhaps was concealed or or was revealed in such a way as to keep it uh, uh, in the background, so to speak. But now it's out in the open. And in this case, in chapter one, when he refers to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, he's talking about those things in which the Messiah will inherit his kingdom. That is the fullness of times. That is a different administration. But now here, uh, there was revelation made known to him about this operating procedures uh, right here on earth uh, that's different and distinct from the, uh, uh, from the way in which the covenant of Moses was constructed for the nation of Israel. This is unique, and Paul wants you to know that it's unique, and he's in prison because he has been preaching this unique message, this stewardship of God's grace. He says in chapter 2, by the way, he wrote about this earlier, uh, this is not uh, something He's just now bringing up. He's not kept it uh, in the background necessarily. He's been heading toward chapter three all along. But in chapter two, verses 15 and 16, it says, he says, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, and this is the work of Messiah, uh, that, uh, that he took to himself the, the statutes and the ordinances and the commandments of God that were against us and that would have condemned us to, uh, to judgment. Uh, but Jesus has taken it all upon himself and which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, it says in uh, chapter 2, verse 15, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. That one new man is now being formed in Paul's day as he continues to incorporate and see the Gentiles rise to the occasion and become uh, confident and clear in their new identity that Jesus, the Messiah of the Jews, has introduced them into. And because of his work, he has now broken down the enmity, the division, that is, between the, circum the so-called circumcision and the so-called uncircumcision. That's what he said in verse 11 of um, chapter 2. And this is now forming one new man and might uh, verse 16 of chapter 2 it says and might reconcile them both that means Jews and Gentiles in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity the cross has at the foot of the cross is level ground, like somebody said. And uh, that means that regardless of what uh, may have transpired ahead of time, Jesus has taken our sin, both the Jews and the Gentiles' sin, and has become our substitute sacrifice, the Lamb of God. And um, that has brought us into a new relationship with each other, as well as with God, as well as with uh, Jesus. It says, I wrote before in brief, verse, verse 4, it says, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Again, this is the old covenant, or that is the, um, the Old uh, Testament didn't speak about this in great amount of detail at all, and uh, now it's out in the forefront. And so, uh, uh, so Paul is writing this so that we understand this, so that we have a grasp of what God is doing now. This is part of our new identity, especially as Gentile believers. But there were many Jewish believers who needed to also understand it uh, and uh, in order for uh, God's plan and God's purposes to be carried out. 
He says in verse 5, um, uh, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men. See, that's the definition of the mystery that we're talking about here. It's not a puzzle. It's not a riddle. It's not something hard to figure out. It's just something that is now being revealed uh, to Paul and to the rest of the apostles, because that's what he says here. Uh, generations, uh, other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets. You see, because that is exactly uh, what uh, Paul had introduced earlier, that uh, now we have the foundation work of the apostles and prophets in in this new temple, this invisible temple, this temple that isn't made with, with human hands and isn't constructed out of out of uh, cold stones that have been uh, carved uh, from the the quarry. Uh, This is a different kind of a temple. It's an organic temple in many regards because it is invisible, because it is in many regards a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in every believer. And so he says so in chapter 2, verse 20. He says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. So when he says that, uh, that God is now revealing something to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit, to be specific, and here's what it is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body. That is something completely new. This is it. And and, and, uh, the Old Testament talked about the Jewish people and the nation of Israel uh, through the work of the temple and through the the practice of the the old covenant, the covenant of Moses and, uh, and the covenant of Abraham and the covenant of David and the covenant of the promised land that, uh, that they would give testimony to the Gentiles. That, is, that was always a part of God's plan for the nation of Israel to be a witness of his word and of his work uh, on earth to fellow national, uh, uh, that is international kind of ministry. And yet it never really got off the ground in many regards as far as the Jewish people were concerned of, the, of what we would call uh, now the Old Testament. And now it's completely different because now he says, uh, this is something uh, to be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body so that we are incorporated into Christ in such a fashion that we are equals. Now, that doesn't set well with the uh, the traditional power structure, especially that of the first century of what we know of first century Judaism, because that's where Jesus uh, uh, found himself at odds was because he uh, challenged the power structure, the, the authority, the, uh, um, the kind of uh, influence, the kind of authoritarian influence in which the, uh, uh, the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and the Sadducees uh, and the scribes held over uh, the Jewish people. And now Paul says that Gentiles are, are fellow heirs fellow members, this is our new identity. We are now a part of what God is doing. In fact, we are, because of Jesus, we are an equal part. We are shareholders as equals um, 
of the inheritance. And so that's exactly what it gets at when he talks about fellow heirs. We have an inheritance. We have an inheritance in Abraham, by the way. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, it says, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise, not according to blood, not according to race, not according to language or, or tribe or anything else, um, or DNA, but you are, according to promise, uh, you've become Abraham's descendants. Why? Because you are descendants of his faith, not his progeny, but his, uh, his uh, faith. And because he was uh, saved by faith and because he was declared righteous because of his faith long before he was circumcised, then we enter into being his descendants through the same faith, not through his body, not through his, his, uh, his uh, physical descendants or his, his uh, uh, DNA, you might say, but rather through his spiritual DNA through faith in Christ. Galatians chapter 4 verse 7 says, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So we inherit something through God, and that has been purchased by the Son of God, the uh, the oldest son, the eldest son, the one that is God himself come into the flesh and risen and, uh, and gone back to heaven. And uh, so not only that, we are fellow members of the body. We belong to him. We are part of this new body. According to uh, chapter 2, verse 16, it says, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross. Because of the cross, we are members of Christ's body. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, the Holy Spirit has immersed us into Christ. He has placed us into Christ. The, uh, the, uh, the word there is in English is, is baptized, but the Holy Spirit has baptized us. He has placed us into Christ. And this all now is true of us where it wasn't before, and that's what Paul is uh, telling us here. And continuing on in verse 6, it says, and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The gospel has introduced for us an introduction into being partakers of the promise. We have the promise of the Holy Spirit. We have the promise of eternal life. We have the promise that has uh, been given to us, not because we deserved it, not because we earned it, but because Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the grave. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about the gospel. He says, for I, del verse 3, verse 3, that is, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For so that Jesus' death burial and resurrection and those those evidences of the empty tomb and of the appearances now give us the assurance that God is doing something both on a Jewish level as well as a Gentile level and we are being incorporated into one 
new thing. And it says in verse 7, of which Paul, that Paul says this, of which I was made a minister. He's a servant of this message. He is, a, uh, he is serving Christ by proclaiming this message, teaching this message to Jews and Gentiles alike. He says, according to the gift of God's grace. This is a free gift. This isn't earned or deserved. And that's why it's, and why he duplicates the words here, the gift of God's grace. And uh, as if it needs to be repeated. And uh, grace is still grace uh, without being uh, uh, that extra words of gift. And yet he wants to be assured that this is a gift we didn't get here uh, into this new identity because uh, we deserved it or earned it or worked for it. We are here because of God's gift of grace to us, which was given to me according to the working of his power. This is God's work, and it's a work of power. And this is uh, almost uh, what you might call an insurmountable uh, kind, of, uh, kind of endeavor. Uh, who would have ever thought that uh, Jewish people and Gentile people could share the same religion. And yet it's not a religion because we've both been incorporated into Jesus of Nazareth, the, the crucified Lord, as, as well as the risen Savior and, uh, and the reigning Messiah in heaven. And because we share in him and we're partakers in him, then that makes us equal in our uh, inheritance in him. And Paul is merely the one that has been uh, chosen by God to be the servant to proclaim that message to us and make it clear to us. And uh, that's what he's doing in this passage. Thank you, Father, for these words of truth, words of clarification, words of instruction about who we now are in Christ. Those of us who have trusted Jesus as the payment for our sin, that his death, burial, and resurrection is now a part of who we are. And we share that not because of the law of Moses or of anything else we've done, but because of him. And it's in him we pray. Amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again next time for our episodes in Feeding the Flock.